Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 14. I'd like to consider today one of the great problems that prevents believers from being used of the Lord to their full potential. Let's say we have a man whom the Lord has blessed with multiple spiritual gifts. Say he has a gift of preaching, leading, evangelism, administration, helps, giving. And he has all these gifts to a, to a high capacity. And this man has faith. He has mountain-moving faith. So what could possibly stop this man from being used of the Lord to his full potential? Now let's shift gears to the book of Judges. The man we're going to look at today, he was used powerfully of the Lord. He was gifted by the Lord in ways that no one had ever been before. He had strength that no one had ever had before. He was a man of faith. He's listed among the other judges and prophets in the book of Hebrews as one who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. His name was Samson. Samson is the last of the judges whose life is detailed in the book of Judges. He had enormous potential, and certainly he had a share of victories. Yet for all the power he had, there was one flaw in his character, the one problem I mentioned in the beginning, that kept him from being used as fully as he could have for the Lord, that held him back from accomplishing anything lasting for the Lord in Israel. We first see Samson chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, Samson was not attracted to this woman because she was a godly woman. Unfortunately, what we have here is complete opposite of what we had last week between Boaz and Ruth. Last week we saw a man who was attracted to a woman not at all by her appearance, but by her godly character. Ruth was faithful, loving. Boaz called her a virtuous woman. With Samson, though, all we have is pure, complete, 
this physical attraction, this total lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. He saw something pleasing to his eyes. He wanted to take it. And it can't be said that he liked her because of her character, because it doesn't even look like it's till verse 7 that he actually even talks to her. Just to get something clear right off, when it's stated it, is, it was of the Lord, God did not put this idea into Samson's mind to marry this Philistine woman. God's not the originator of sin. Samson's still accountable for his choice. He did the wrong thing here. But God permitted this to happen, and he would use the events that unfolded to strike against the Philistines. In these verses, too, we can see Samson is a man who does not really listen to what anyone else says. He doesn't like authority. He's the kind of guy who likes to do his own thing. He doesn't bother answering his parents' objection at all. He'll never mind that violates God's law. In fact, he blatantly ignores his mother. Though he's addressed in verse 3 by both his father and mother, he just speaks to his father when he says, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Continuing with verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now, it's not exactly clear why Samson went back to see the carcass of the lion. It could have been to revisit his latest victory, just to remind himself about it. But he does try to use this instant to his best advantage. Later on, we see... At a feast with 30 of his wedding companions, starting at verse 12, he says, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days, they could not explain the riddle. Samson was being very scheming here. It wasn't just that he was trying to cheat 30 people out of their clothing. There was a desire on his part to see how he could use the things of God to his best advantage chance to cash in on what the Lord had just done through him. The whole scheme ends up backfiring on Samson, though, when his companions threaten his wife in order to get her to extract the answer from Samson. 
In his anger, Samson ends up killing 30 men in another town. And from here, the situation just continues to escalate with Samson and the Philistines trading offenses until we see Samson waging a one-man war against the Philistines. Some time passes, Samson finds that his wife has been given to another man, and in his anger, he burns the Philistines' grain fields. The Philistines, in retaliation, kill Samson's wife and her father. And continuing in chapter 15, verse 7, And Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etim. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? Now Samson noticeably does not seem to care about the welfare of his fellow Israelites really only looking out for himself. His whole, attitude is, his whole attitude is summed up in, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Continuing on to verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain, I have slain a thousand men. And while we see that Samson certainly had a lot of faults, you can see from his prayer that follows the battle, Samson certainly had a bold prayer life. Verse 18, Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, the water came out and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. It actually sounds like at first that Samson is accusing the Lord of being uncaring. But what he's really doing is he's calling God on who he is. Lord, it's not consistent with who you are that you would let me die here, not after what you have done through me. And noticeably, too, Samson does give the Lord the glory. He knows that it was not himself that had victory over a thousand men. He says to the Lord, you have given this great deliverance. So a great victory. Then something very anticlimactic happens. You, know, you would think after this great victory, 
it would be time to follow, up, follow this up with an even greater victory. Like Mayor Sampson could have called those 3,000 men who had come to arrest him and instead rallied them to fight against the Philistines. You know, now could have been the time to liberate Israel. Instead, we just see Samson descending further into sexual sin. Going to chapter 16, verse 1. You know, this time he's not even seeking to marry a Philistine woman. He just goes right into the act of sexual immorality. And Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Now at this point, or maybe even before this point, you might be wondering, why is the Lord using someone like Samson? And Samson is not, he's obviously not a godly man. He's self-seeking, he's lustful, he's violent. He does things out of anger and vengeance. And why didn't the Lord use a man who was honorable, who was humble, who loved his countrymen? Now that being said, of course the Lord can use anyone he wants to. It's true, Samson had his own agenda, but the Lord was still using him to exact judgment on the Philistines. But I was just thinking about a verse that Dave Bells brought up a few weeks ago in one of his messages. I'll just read it. It's in, from Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The Lord, looks for, the Lord looks for people who are loyal to him. But he looks hard. He looks to and fro. There's not many of these people. If we look at Israel toward this time period in Judges, you know, Samson is the last judge written about in the book of Judges. And if you look towards the last chapters of Judges, Israel is in a very decadent time. People are doing some terrible things in that time period. The eyes of the Lord look for a man during this time who was godly and sought the will of the Lord. And you know what? It could have been the Lord found no one. Looked all over Israel. There was no one who sought the Lord, not one godly man. So what it could have been was, Samson may have been the best there was to offer at the time. Sad as that sounds. Samson, as immoral as he was, was the best Israel had to offer. Going on to verse 2. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surround the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Samson shows a lot of recklessness here. He knew that with the Lord with him, he was invincible. But this led him to put himself into all kinds of dangerous situations. Situations he never had to be in in the first place. 
he really had no good reason to be in Gaza any more than he had to be in Timna. And he really spends his time doing nothing useful here. In this instance, Samson doesn't even bother to engage the Philistines in combat. If he had wanted to, he could have defeated them all. But instead, he, make, he spends his time making a mockery of the Philistines by lifting up the gates of Gaza. And after this, Samson just continues indulging in his own lusts. In verse 4, Now afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now we all know what happens eventually. The scene replaces itself several times until Delilah eventually does find out the secret of Samson's strength. Now it's easy to look at Samson and say, how could he be so stupid? Samson knew, of course, what Delilah was trying to do. But he was confident, really overconfident, that he could handle himself. He thought he could continue a relationship with this woman without compromising himself. He thought he could make a mockery of her just as he had of the Philistines when they tried to ambush him. And there's a tendency for us sometimes as believers to have this attitude. We like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. We like to be able to say, yep, I did all by myself. Or maybe even on a good day, we might, you might include the Lord in that statement, saying, it was just me and the Lord. This temptation to think of ourselves as a lone ranger Christian who can take on anything all by himself. I can handle it. And we can get an especially bad case of this if we start replaying some of our spiritual victories over and over in our minds. What happens is that we not only end up isolating ourselves from other believers, we also end up isolating ourselves from the Lord. And then we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Coming on to verse 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him 
so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Now, we don't know exactly how long Samson spent as a prisoner of the Philistines. It could have been months. It could have been years. Eventually, one day, he is brought out to be a spectacle before thousands of Philistines in their temple. And then he prays to the Lord one last time. Now, Samson's prayer at the end of his life shows a lot of brokenness. You know, all that confidence, all that boldness he had before, that's all gone now. In the time Samson spent in prison, grinding grain day and night, he probably suffered a lot of abuse, a lot of jeering from the Philistine guards. As he stayed in the prison, there were probably some times where he looked back at his life and he regretted how he had squandered what the Lord had given to him. Now here he was a blind man, completely useless to fight any battles for the Lord. So now when Samson prays his last prayer, it's a lot more humble and plaintive. He knows, he does, he knows that he does not deserve another opportunity to be used of the Lord. If anything, he knows he deserves, he deserves to be forgotten. Verse 28 Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. Now we look at Samson's life and death, and we look at the other judges of Israel 
And there's a couple of ways you can see that Samson's life and death differed a lot from the other judges. When you look at the other judges, sure, the Lord raised them up to lead Israel, but they did not act alone. Or they acted in such a way so that Israel as a nation could be delivered. Second, with Samson, there was no lasting effect from his victories. We've looked at a lot of other judges in the past. We've looked at Othniel, Deborah, and Gideon. You could see some great fruit from their lives, something that they did for the nation as a whole. Like Othniel said, so the land had rest for 40 years. In the time of Deborah, it was written, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And the Lord, writing about Gideon, talks about all the good he had done for Israel. Now, with a man with the power of Samson, you would have thought that he could have led some kind of decisive victory against the Philistines that would have liberated Israel for good. Yet, the Philistines are mentioned as fighting against Israel for literally hundreds of years after this. There is no verse in the book of Judges that reads, so the Philistines were subdued under the hand of Israel and the land had rest. No, that's not in there. Instead, this is what we see at the end of Samson's life after he dies in the temple. In Judges 16.30, continuing on, we see, so the dead that he killed, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. There's a rebuke in this verse. When you look at Samson's life, he made poor use of what the Lord had given him. We look at the other judges. You know, they may not have had, had Samson's strength, but they sought the best for their nation. They wanted to have their nation freed from the Moabites, from the Canaanites, whoever was oppressing them. We see Samson, though, he uses his great strength the Lord given him. He uses it for selfish reasons. He uses it for personal vengeance. He's not thinking of Israel at all. You think he could have used that strength the Lord had given him to do so much more. Now these days, the Lord doesn't give believers superhuman strength. But he does give spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts the Lord gives to believers are extremely powerful. You know, teaching, helps, giving, evangelism. Those are just a few. You can find a more complete list in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. But the Lord did not give us those gifts so that we can just look cool and impress others or to say, look at what I can do. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12.
going to start reading from verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Spiritual gifts were given so that others could benefit from them. As I mentioned before, Samson had great gifts from God, but he never used them for others. He always used them for himself. Now, everyone here who is a believer, every one of us has a spiritual gift or gifts. You can have more than one. Each of us has a lot of potential be used of the Lord. But if we keep them to ourselves, if we never use them, we're really in the same position as Samson was. A believer not using his spiritual gifts is like you've been given this incredible resource, this incredible treasure, and for some reason you just keep it all to yourself. You're not sharing it. And it's easy to find excuses, like we can think, well, I couldn't have that gift. Or, I don't know what my gift is. And I'm not saying it's easy to go right up and start using your gift instantaneously. Like if anyone here is on the Shire side, you know, thought of trying to teach a lesson to a number of people or witnessing to a complete stranger, that can be intimidating. Here's a couple reasons why we should be seeking to use our spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts to their full potential. For the Lord's sake, because the Lord wants us to. The Lord has invested a lot in us, and I don't mean just in terms of salvation. Those spiritual gifts are priceless. He's put a lot of work into them. And in so many ways, the spiritual gifts are so much better than what Samson had. Now, I'm sure a lot of us at one point or another have thought to ourselves, it would be pretty great to have superhuman strength. But, you know, as much strength as Samson had, you know, his strength was good for winning battles against Philistines. Okay? But if you look at spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are good for winning spiritual victories, having victory over sin, saving souls from hell, They're victories that have eternal impact. The Lord is one day going to call us into account for how we've used them when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wouldn't it be terrible if you went through your whole life and never used the gift that the Lord had given you? And what would you say to him when the Lord asked you, what did you do with that gift I gave you? Second, we should be using our gifts because of saints, because everyone in the church needs them to be used. I just named a few of them, but every single one of these gifts, they're desperately needed. Spiritual gifts are meant to be exercised for each other. 
You know, there's so many one another commands in the Bible. We are to bear one another. I'm not, uh, you don't have to turn all the verses, but uh, in Galatians it said, we are to bear one another's burdens. In Hebrews, we are to exhort one another. In 1 Thessalonians, we are to comfort one another. And Galatians again, we are to serve one another. And encompassing all these uh, command in 1 John and the Gospel of John, love one another. And that's just a small sample of those one another commands. And we fulfill a lot of these commands by using our spiritual gifts as they were meant to be used. I can tell you, throughout the past eight years, I've been a believer. I can tell you, I've been the very grateful recipient of a lot of times when some brother or sister has used their spiritual gift on my behalf. You know, if there were not some brother or sister around at some hard time in my life, whether to you know, give me comfort, whether to give me a badly needed word of encouragement or exhortation, whether to give me counsel, or maybe to give me a, or maybe to give me a rebuke. I can tell you, if that brother or sister were not around, I, I could have gotten myself in so many messes, so many bad situations. In fact, I might, not, I might not even be in fellowship here. I can still remember one time um, I called one of the elders. I know has a gift of pastoring. I called them at 6.30 in the morning because of a very difficult situation I had. And I'm very grateful that that person was able to use her gift for my sake there. No believer can stand alone. You know, there might appear to be a great man of God who's doing things all by himself, out in the middle of nowhere, not having any other believers around. But you can be sure that if he really is being used by the Lord to his full potential and doing all, this, all these things, there's probably a bunch of saints behind him, whether giving him direct encouragement, comfort, or prayer. He's really not alone. And we need each other. We need each other so badly because you know, we're literally part of one another. With Romans and Ephesians, it says we are members of one another. Now, ultimately, if we go off alone, if we try and do our own thing, you know, the Lord's gracious. He can use us, even so. But we end up accomplishing, we end up accomplishing so much less than what we could have. A lot of times, if we just try and go off by ourselves, we could end up just like Samson was, you know, powerless and useless with his hair cut off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and how you've given us so much, not just salvation, but Lord, you've given us these great gifts that you would have us to use. And I pray, Father, you would tighten the bonds of fellowship here Lord, you will show us how best we can glorify you through these. Thank you, Lord, in your son's holy name.